We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's really tough. It's also painful to watch, you know. I mean, he gave up the blooper single and then rollover, basic, infield hit. And, I mean, that guy is so competitive. He want to give this team a chance to win a game. And you can you can see the pain through his eyes and how how he feel when he came out from that game. So I know this whole team is bad. I mean, it's been really hard the last couple of weeks. But uh, we're doing everything we can to, to put everything together, you know, to win and, and, and put good games out there. So hopefully we can turn things around and start winning games. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. That was Robinson Chirinos, uh, catcher for the Cubs, talking about Adbert Alzale, who left the game yesterday with a hamstring injury. Uh, Cubs losing yesterday to Miami. It is Bruce and Ranji on the score this morning, final hour of the show. And we go to the guest hotline, and it is brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And we bring in our good friend, the color analyst on Chicago Cub Baseball on Marquee Sports Network, Jim Deshays. Jimmy, good morning. How are you? Taking some time out today. Uh, good morning. Uh, great to be with you guys. I'm fine. Uh, how are you guys doing? We're, we're doing terrific. Uh, I, I wonder, um, you know, how uh, as a color analyst and, uh, you know, doing your best to be positive on a, a given day and also being accurate and uh, fair with your broadcast. How challenging has this losing streak and uh, the, the season uh, going the way it has since the, the trade deadline, how, how difficult has that been? Um, you know, not so much the, the, you know, the narrative around the team obviously has changed. It's not difficult to tell the story accurately. I think you just, um, you know, you, you try to accentuate the positives and the good play, but you have to point out the, the rough patches along the way and the fact that the team has been kind of um, uh, reset. Um, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's, it's not really hard. I mean, I've done it before. I did it uh, for years in Houston and I did it with the Cubs when I first came here and, and they were in that rebuild phase. Um, so I, I think, you know, you just hope to have fun every day and, and in a perfect world, you have at least competitive games. And I think that's been the frustrating thing about this most recent stretch that most of the games have not been competitive. Uh, they've, they've got been blown out. Um, pitching has not been good. 
uh, and, and the games are taking a long time. <laughs> so so <laughs> to that end, that, that, that part of it, ma- it makes the job a little bit more difficult. But, but in terms of telling the story, I think you just tell the story. You know, you, 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 what you see is, is what you um, comment on. And uh, you can't forget. I, I mean, I, the one thing I don't want to do is go bottling right on the air like, oh, my God, this is the end of the world. Always keeping in perspective. Baseball, yes, fans are upset. Yes, this is a tough time for the Cubs. But the bottom line is it's a sport. It's fun. Uh, and we're going to have fun doing it. Yeah, since the trade deadline, the Cubs are, are 2-12. and 12, And we know we, we've talked a lot about that 11-game losing streak when everything went totally south for this team. Are, are you surprised after such a good start this year, a competitive start, and being in first place for some time, are you surprised that it, it, it got this bad this quickly? Uh, it was weird how it got there. Um, I, I think, you know, I was with most of the predictive models at the start of the year that saw this Cubs as anywhere from a, you know, 76-win team to an 84-win team. It's kind of what most of the, you know, the projections were. And I thought if everything went well, they could be an 85-win team. But I could, I saw a scenario where um, they would make some moves at the trade deadline and, and they would scuffle the final couple of months of the season. It's just weird, the 11-game losing streak while the Brewers were playing red-hot baseball this changed the narrative from, hey, if you have a pretty decent year, you might have a chance to win the NL Central, to you've got to have a really good year to win the NL Central. And, and that Cubs team, even before the trades, was not set up to be, you know, there wasn't going to be a really good team. Jim Deshays from the Marquee Sports Network joining us on Inside the Clubhouse, along with Chris Ranji and Bruce Levine. We're here talking baseball 52 weeks out of the year on Inside the Clubhouse on the score Saturdays from 9 to 11. Jim, uh, when you uh, you look at uh, the career of uh, Jake Arrieta ending here, with, at least with the Cubs uh, this week, what, what's your perspective and uh, how, how, how do you size up uh, his season this year and his career as a Cub? Yeah, well, it's it unfortunate it did not pan out this year. Um, I, you know, I think most people thought that, that bringing uh, Jake back was, was a good idea that he might be able to provide some valuable innings, be a back of the rotation type guy. I don't think there, I don't think Jed or any of the baseball people thought that he was going to be able to come close to what he did in 2015, 16. Um, but, but the hope was he'd be a, you know, solid contributor and, and a guy that would maybe help uh, mentor some of the younger pitchers. It, it just didn't work out. He just did not pitch well. He got off to a pretty good start, but even that there was, you know, when you look at some of the peripheral numbers, it, it, it was a little bit of a, an illusion there. And, and his stuff just isn't what it used to be. Um, so that's the story of this year. The story of his time as a Cub is, is a great story. I mean, he was unbelievably good for a period of three and a half years here. Uh, was a huge part of them winning a World Series. Uh, the two no-hitters. Uh, I mean, it was as dominant a stretch of pitching as I've ever witnessed. And I've seen some really good pitchers uh, over my career you know, playing and watching baseball. Um, so I think that's what fans will take away. I think they'll remember, you know, obviously the, the huge contributions to the World Series team. You know, you mentioned earlier that in a season like this that, that's gone the direction it has, as a broadcaster, you're looking for positive stuff. Is there is there something, in, in as, as rough as it has been lately, what what sorts of positives and, and stuff that people can take away for the future, not necessarily just for this year, but things that they can look at and say, okay, that's promising for next year or the year after that? Um, I would say I'm still I'm anxious to watch Justin Steele pitch the rest of the way. I'm anxious to see Keegan Thompson when he comes up. 
Uh, a couple of the arms that they've added to the bullpen are intriguing. Um, obviously, Hoyer and, and Rodriguez. Uh, um, you know, we'll see how. I, I, I think Hoyer is going to be a really solid major league reliever, um, and Rodriguez has a chance to be a high leverage guy with that 100 mile an hour fastball. So he learns how to pitch and command it and, and, and polish up the secondary stuff. Um, I think that's going to be good. Um, yeah, Ortega has been a great story. Um, but it's hard, right? Ortega's 30. Wisdom is will be 30. Um, so it's not like these are young guys that you project they're going to get a whole lot better and, and do great things, you know, two, three years down the road. You don't know. Uh, and I think Patrick Wisdom has done enough this year for me to feel like this is a legit major league player here. He's got an OPS over 900. But that's been a really good story. Uh, and, and he should be a contributor going forward for how long. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but it's not like the Cubs are in a youth movement right now, right? I mean, it's it's not like this roster is full of 23, 24-year-old kids who are just reaching the big leagues that you can dream on and say, man, in two years this guy's really going to be something. Um, obviously, a healthy Nick Madrigal and a healthy Nico Horner will be really fun to watch. Um, but, but I think I think the, the bigger question with the Cubs' future is, is what happens in the offseason, what kind of acquisitions they make and, and as they kind of construct the roster. Uh, for 2022. Yeah, uh, Jim, likely that's going to be uh, later in the fall, if not in early winter, with the CBA in December uh, standing in the way of a lot of moves by um, front offices and general managers. Jim, when uh, you look at um, this last six weeks for David Bodie and for Ian Happ, uh, do you look at it as uh, through a lens of the front office trying to figure out if these guys are starting players in the big leagues and can they be a part of the starting nine for the Chicago Cubs moving forward? I, you know, I don't think it's make or break for, for either one of those guys. Um, I, I think, you know, David Bodie has established himself as, as a real solid major league backup, regardless of what kind of performance he has from now to the end of the year. And I think he's a guy on a, on a club that's kind of, bottomed out a little bit and looking to go back in the right direction could get a lot of at bats but i would i would think um if you were to ask jed hoyer um is david bodie an everyday player on a really good major league team jed would probably say no we like david bodie because he could fill in at multiple positions he's a really good defender he's a dangerous bat off the bench uh and he's really good at that so i, I think he's one of those guys that is an everyday player on, on a on a so-so club and a really good bench player on a really good club, and I, I think that's how you would project David Bodie. Ian Happ is, is tougher. You know, Happ was our best player last year, and and if you were bullish on the Cubs coming into this season, one of the reasons was you thought, well, Happ is, is an ascending player. He's going to be really good. Uh, Hayward had a really nice year last year, so hopefully he can hold serve and be good again. And then we'll get bounce backs from Bryant and Rizzo and Baez and Contreras and some of the others. Um but you know, sometimes what you project and what you hope doesn't happen, and it's just been a miserable season for Ian. Uh, but I think he's young enough, talented enough, and smart enough that, that he can make some adjustments and still be a really important piece on a good club. What do you see you know, in between here with his uh, hitting style? I mean, it, you know, he was a launch angle guy. He had great success when he came up, uh, hitting 25 home runs in his first full year. And uh, then with the, the adjustments of uh, having gone to the minor leagues in 2019, coming up, uh, found his way the last month of the season. And then, as you said, the first month of 2020, uh, 
dominant, not so well in the uh, September. But what what do you see him with his batting style right now? Is he trying to move away from the launch angle to being more of a line drive hitter, and is he kind of in between for you? Yeah, yeah, I, that, that may be the case. I, you know, when I look at the numbers, he had one good month, and that was the month he didn't hit the ball on the ground. His ground ball rate has been way too high, um, and pulled ground balls for a left-handed hitter uh, turn into outs now more than ever before. Um, so, you know, he's got to get back to finding a way to drive the ball in the air to the pull side. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he could change his approach and start hitting the ball the other way. Uh, what that would produce, it wouldn't produce a lot of power. It would produce some base hits. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think he may be in between a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, so he's they're, they're beating him with breaking stuff below the bat and, and elevated fastballs. And, and it looks to me like he's kind of lost that C right now. I mean, he crushed that home run last night. So maybe that'll be the, the impetus for a little good push for him uh, the rest of the way. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I would think, and it's really tough, I think, to make big adjustments in season. But I would think, you know, some conversation this winter, some approach um, that maybe just emphasize, you know, just trying to drive the ball more to the pull side, um, you know, and, and maybe, you know, cut, obviously cut down on the strikeouts. You know, you think back to, to what Yelich did when he, when he came over to Milwaukee, all of a sudden he became uber aggressive and started hunting fastballs early and turning mm-hmm. on pitches. And he became a, you know, he, he became a superstar. Joey Votto this year has changed his approach where he's not as patient. He's sacrificing walks. He's striking out a little bit more, but he's hitting for a lot more power to the pull side. So maybe that becomes the model for Ian, just to become a little bit more aggressive and not worry so much about walks and, and attack and just try to try to drive the ball. And, you know, all of this is coming from, a, you know, a lifetime 081 hitter or whatever the heck that was. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I don't say all this with, with a whole lot of confidence, but, but I think that, that might be a place to start. Uh, talking with Jim Deshays here on the score, and in last night's game, I, I guess if a, a guy, a pitcher, is going to deal with some sort of injury, you're glad it's not an arm, you know, an elbow, a shoulder, something like that. And Al, Adbert Alzelaya to leave with a hamstring injury. But leading up to that, he had the he had the really good start against the White Sox, where he goes into the seventh inning, gives up a couple of runs, and uh, the inning, or I'm sorry, the month prior to that, a couple of quality starts mixed in there with some okay starts. What do you think of what you've seen from him over the last couple of months in his progression? Yeah, it's it's been you know step forward, a step backward kind of thing. The big issue is left-handed hitters uh, and the amount of slug that he's giving up to left-handed hitters. He's getting crushed in the power department. Um, and I know they've tried to address it. He's started throwing more cut fastballs. Um, I thought his two starts ago, I thought his changeup was really good. He threw some really good changeups last night, too. Uh, for me, that's that's an important part of it. So, you know, uh, Rossi's talked a lot about commanding the fastball down and away to the left-handed hitters. Uh, he's fine against righties, and I think that's why he was good against the White Sox. They're, they're, you know, most of their power, uh, most of the danger in that lineup is from the right side. Um, but he's got to find a way to compete better against left-handed hitters. And I think all those things are, are, are part of it. Fastball command, uh, more confidence and better execution of the changeup, and then throwing that cut fastball in on the hands of the left-handed hitters is a way that it can get done. And he's a talented kid. He's got a good arm, so there's no reason to think that he can't figure something out. You know, he doesn't have to become a world beater against lefties. He just has to become, um, you know, better. I mean, because the, the home run numbers for the left-handed hitters are off the charts against them. 
And, you know, I think that the, the trap that we fall into a lot of times with the young guys, they'll have one good start, and the narrative becomes, oh, he's figured it out, and from this point forward, it's just going to be a whole lot better. And, and it rarely works that way. It's, you know, it's just, sometimes you have, you know, stretches where you throw the ball really well, and sometimes you scuffle, and, and there's usually a whole lot in between. Jim, in closing with you, uh, first of all, uh, myself and uh, Chris really appreciate you taking some time out today. Uh, the, the idea that um, you, you look at the manager and you, you look at David Ross and been part of a winner for a good portion of a decade now uh, in his travels, now having to uh, manage a team uh, with uh, you know this talent and looking toward the future, how do you think – He's held up, and uh, what what are your observations of uh, David handling this transition? I, I, I think he's been fine, and I, I think you know, in broadcasting we always talk about uh, you earn your money when when you have to do bad games or, or you're, you're broadcasting for a bad club or or you, you had a four and a half hour game and it's just an ugly game, and, and you try to keep people engaged. Well, you know, I think as a manager it's fairly easy to manage a really good roster and you're winning a bunch of games and everybody's happy. Um, now it's, it's a real challenge. And, and I think Rossi's been great. I think he's got the right mix of, uh, of patience and, uh, but also, um, you know, he's not going to let guys get away with stuff. He's going to continue to, to demand a professional approach and he's going to call guys out um, when they don't do the right things. He's, you know, you can see last night he was burning a little hot last yeah. night. You could kind of see it. Um, and that, <laughs> I'd and that's say. fine. That's good. You, know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you don't ever yeah. want to be in that position where, like, yeah, we're supposed to lose because, you know, we've done all these things, so I'm just going to roll with it. You don't, you don't want that out of your manager. You, you want the manager to, to be a guy who continues to, to push for excellence. And yeah, he, how and much he of that? He sleeps, he sleeps well at night. <laughs> that's, that's Jim, how much, of that, how much of that is for – um, the rest of the team, when when a manager comes out in the second inning of an inning where you're in your second pitcher and you're about to give up 11 runs, how much of that is just uh, not only directed at the pitcher who can't get anybody out, and this was, you know, very difficult to watch for for him, but but for the team that hey, regardless of the situation here, we're professionals. Let's let's do our job here. Let's do it correctly. Yeah, I, I think that you know, I think that message is something he probably tries to hammer home um, in, in the clubhouse every day, and, and probably in big ways and small ways, just conversations with players and, and just the, the kind of the comments that you make to the group in the dugout. Um, the, the the in-game uh, show of emotion, I think, is mostly just that, just just to frustrate a guy who's not happy with what he's seeing. So I don't know how much of that is premeditated to try to send a message. I, I think a lot of it is just mad as hell and <laughs> feels like he needed the vent. All right. Jim Deshays, we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you for being with us, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, I was, I was trying. I hope I provided a bucolic setting because I had a guy mowing the lawn next door and I had a yeah, dog barking. And dogs? Door, and I, I, hope, I yeah. hope our listeners are able to well, hear all that. It, yeah. If it makes you feel yeah, better, I'm outside and there are there are ambulances and uh, all kinds of sirens going by. So we're all adding to the ambiance today. <laughs> it was, it was your own you portion of Field of Dreams today, Jimmy. Thanks for joining us. Have a great I'm day. Go find a we'll see you at the ballpark. See you. That's Jim Deshays of Marquee Network. Uh, he's he's really good, man. I, I like him a lot. I'm enjoying that broadcast, think, you know, the two of them. 
Well, you know, right now, as Jim says, uh, you're better off getting paid by the hour uh, because oh, yeah. uh, that game last night was uh, that Oof. that went on for a century. The first two hours, consider this, Chris: the first two hours and seven minutes, three innings, mm. three innings in two hours mm. and seven minutes. Not yeah, a good pace. Well, no, especially yeah. when you see what's going on. But uh, you know, Jimmy provi- provides a lot of. Uh, Inside and an awful lot of fun as well when he's on yeah. doing the games. And the Cubs, I believe this is the first year since 1975 they've had two games or two different innings where a team has scored 10 runs in an inning. So is that, it's one is of those, that bad? Yeah, I, and I don't think it's good. Okay. All right. I mean, you don't well, want look, that. Uh, I think we'll try to concentrate on the real and the positive when talking about the Cubs and Sox. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to uh, Susan Waldman, the Yankee broadcaster, uh, a little bit about um, the Yankees-White Sox matchup coming up here, a little bit more on uh, uh, the Field of Dreams, but uh, more uh, on two really good baseball teams going toward the playoffs. That's Bruce Levine. I'm Chris Ranji. Susan Waldman coming up next on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. He's hit 17 home runs, hitless tonight. Ball was flying in Dyersville, Iowa on Thursday. Lots of home runs. Giancarlo Stanton hitting one. Aaron Judge getting into it as well. And then Tim Anderson, of course, with the walk-off home run to beat the Yankees in the first of a three-game series. They had the day off yesterday. They will be back at it uh, tonight. 6-10 first pitch from the south side of Chicago. So they're they're back in town. Uh, that was a one-game thing in Iowa. They'll take on the Yankees tonight. Cease and Tyone are the pitchers for tonight. We're going to talk to Susan Waldman in a couple of moments. The Yankees are an interesting team to me, Bruce. Um, and it's Bruce Levine, Chris Ranji with you on Inside the Clubhouse today. Um, they're good. They're, they're just such a good team. And I know that locally... Locally in New York, they're always dis- – and maybe it's just a, a, a function of being a, a Yankees fan base. They're always disappointed in that team. And it, because a, well, a lot of times they're not nearly as good as you think they're going to be, but you look at the roster and you say that's still a really good team. It, you know, it, it's it's demanding excellence from ownership. And, uh, you know, the Yankees over the years 
even though they haven't won a World Series or been to a World Series since uh, 2009, um, they're they're competitive every year. And uh, being just over 500 or, you know, 85 to 90 wins, that's not good enough for Yankee ownership or for, for <clears throat> excuse me, for... Um, for the fan base, Chris, it's just not. Uh, that's that's just the way they're built there. It's it's like the Dodgers are as well. Uh, those fans expect a winner every year. The Yankees uh, fans uh, and ownership expect a winner uh, here every year. Uh, the Chicago Cubs were on that track. Uh, certainly, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf has expected and uh, tried to be a winner every year. These are. These are things that uh, fan bases are trained to expect. So uh, when when they're not winners, there is that disappointment. I think you see that from Yankee fans. We'll talk to uh, Susan Waldman more about that. Yeah, and the, the Yankees are right now two and a half games out of a wild card spot behind Boston. And... They are seven and a half behind the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League East. And as Bruce said, it is time to go to our guest hotline brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And uh, we bring in my dear friend and one of the great uh, analysts in baseball, does Yankee baseball along with John Sterling every night, 162 games a year. My friend uh, Susan Waldman joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Susie. How are you? Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Chris. How are you? We're doing great. How are you today? It's good to hear from you. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Another 100-degree day here in New York. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. Hey, uh, Susan, Chris and I were just talking about expectations from Yankee fans. And, And even when the team is just good, they're not happy. Explain some of the mentality of the New York baseball fan. <laughs> well, I think we have that, time. Uh, we have time. Be, be, I, I think because I can't really, but I think because of what happened in the '90s, we now have about you know the '96 was what that's 25 years ago. So you now have a generation and a half of people that have no that knew nothing but winning. So it's sort of an expectation, and they feel that it's their birthright um, to to win all the time. And um, and and Buck Showalter always used to say to me, you know what I've learned about Yankee fans? They don't come to see the Yankees play. They come to see the Yankees win. And that's a very different mentality. And every time a new player walks in the door, like an Anthony Rizzo or a Joey Gallo, I explained that to them. Anthony Rizzo didn't need to be explained to, but uh, Joey Gallo did. And it's, it just changes your mindset. So they expect it um, to be really, really good. And even if it's really, really good, it's not good enough. And it's, it's just an amazing place to, to be around because unless they win the World Series and shut everybody out, it's not good enough. Uh, Susan, I think Cubs fans are, well, they, they, as soon as the trade happened a little over two weeks ago, they were looking at the schedule and seeing that Rizzo's going to be in town against the White Sox in, in just, you know, like two and a half weeks. So at least we'll get to see him again. And unfortunately, he's on the COVID list right now. Uh, how had, and, and, you know, he hits the home run immediately in his first, you know, his first game with the Yankees. So making that immediate impact, how have people in New York embraced him? 
Well, let me let me tell you something about Anthony Rizzo, and you don't need to, to know a lot about him. But um, And I had met him a couple of times through that. I have not seen anybody make an impact on a team since 2000 when David Justice walked in the door. Uh, it was immediate offensively and defensively. He made a play in Miami that I haven't seen since Mattingly. Started a double play. I looked out there, and all of a sudden, Mattingly was out there. And the play when when he had his first game at Yankee Stadium, I tell you, there were Italian flags everywhere. There were welcome <laughs> Rizzo signs. I mean, I, did you know there's an ice cream named after him in New Jersey? I did not. He's been there for years because he spent summers, I guess, up here. And because uh, his family, he's got a whole family here. And there's an ice cream named after him. Who knows such a thing? It's in Lindhurst, New Jersey, and he started talking about it. I haven't seen this in a long time. And as a matter of fact, um, I saw a sign when they went to the Field of Dreams the other night. I saw some fans had taken a Rizzo jersey and, ha- and hung it over the top of the railing. I, I haven't seen this in a very, very long time. And um, and what I love about it is that the leaders on this team, like Aaron Judge, um, they're letting it happen. And he's not doing anything. He just walked in the door, and things changed. I see an immediate thing all of a sudden. Tyler Wade, who hit like 120, is starting to go the other way. And in a two-strike pitch, I see him choking up a little bit because Rizzo does it. I've seen it immediately. I, I haven't seen anything really. Well, 2000 is 20 years ago. Yeah, Susan, uh, you know, we, we were fortunate to watch Anthony Rizzo here for a long time, not only a terrific player, but as a terrific person and a great Chicagoan. So uh, you guys are, are certainly blessed to have him there. And uh, I guess the ascension uh, to to being a better ball club started a little before uh, Anthony showed up, Susan. What what was some of, what were some of those things that, uh, that, that turned this team around to being a, a real playoff contender after having uh, struggled for so long this season? No, I, 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 I don't think it happened before that. I think it happened when he walked in the door. I just, I just do. There's something is very because the players are the same, and you know now of course half the team is hurt. So do you know they've used 57 players? This year, yeah. um, yeah. they are yeah. one short of the record, which was 58. I think that was in 2014, and that was when Joe Girardi had to use 13 different third basemen. One of them was named Vernon Wells. So it was wow. just I, I, people come and go on this team uh, like I've never seen. No, I don't think it started before that. I think it's because something was missing, and something has been missing on this team for a while. And that spark walked in the door. I, I got one more Rizzo thing to tell you because. Um, in 2016, after the World Series, I got to um, MC. It was the MLB Players Association Alumni uh, Association dinner here in New York, and they give out the Heart and Hustle uh, Award. And Anthony got it that year. And I remember his brother was there filming the speech because his dad couldn't go for some reason. And I heard him talk, and and I texted Joe Madden, whom I've known forever, and I said. Um, Anthony Rizzo is everything that is good about this game of baseball, dot, dot, dot. And if he isn't, don't ever tell me. And <laughs> so I told Anthony I said that, but, but he really is. And I don't think, Bruce, I don't think it started before because it's the same people and nothing changed till he walked in the door. So now this team is in contention. I mean, there's we just mentioned a moment ago they're they're seven and a half out of the division, but they're right there in the wild card, two and a half games out. 
Um, how how do you see them within the context of of that? Just being a couple and a half games behind Boston, and 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 who do you think is the the greatest competition for them in the American League? Well, I I don't think they've given up on the division. I really don't. I mean, and I was a <laughs> I remember 1978 really really well when it was 14 and a half games um, behind the Red Sox. I don't think they've given up on this. And things in the American League. Um, change really, really quickly. They were nine games in back of the Red Sox at one point, and it just was a few weeks ago that they were nine games, and the Red Sox said they won last night, but what did they lose, eight out of ten or something? It happens very, very fast. So they haven't taken their sights off of that number one here. I would think, though, if... Um, um, obviously, whoever is... There's, o- there's only two spots, and there's going to be three teams. Um, Oakland... If they don't catch Houston, Oakland is their biggest competition. So you got to start looking at the West now, because my guess is that um, one of the spots will come out of there. So they will have to beat out Boston or um, win the division outright, and they haven't stopped looking. It's too early to, to stop looking. I've seen too much happen, and you guys have too. Where Susan, where does the Yankee uh, pitching stand right now, and uh, with the with the with the wobbly uh, back end with the bullpen right now, and yeah. uh, unknown status of Chapman, where 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 do you think the 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 arm will come from, or the arms will come from to win this thing? Yeah, well, here's here's the thing. At the moment, there's three out of five people of the starting rotation out. Uh, Garrett Cole and Jordan and Jordan Montgomery both were sick with COVID. They should be back sometime this week. Domingo Herman has a shoulder thing. We haven't heard anything about him. The problem all they they've had eight walk off losses, like the one they had last night, uh, the other night in in Iowa. Um, they've had eight of those, and every time John keeps saying, "This is the worst." Loss of the year, and one day I had to say, John, you've said that five times in the last two weeks. They had they had one of the Mets, they had one of the Angels, they had uh, a couple to Boston, and and of course the other the other one that that happened in Iowa. Um, the problem has been Chapman. And first he had something with a nail on his finger, but um, he has not been Chapman this year at all. And um, Britain is the only other seasoned closer out there, but he has really missed most of the year. So what you saw in Iowa is someone who really is in the month of April because he's missed everything. First he had COVID, and then he had bone chips in his elbow, and then he came back and he had a hamstring. So he's probably around April. Um, The only person that I see right now um, is the kid, Jonathan Lewisaga, who's done a pretty nice job for someone who is 25 and has never done this before. Um, But that is going to be a problem if Chapman doesn't come back and isn't Chapman. And at the beginning of the year, um, he had not only a slider but an unbelievable splitter, which I haven't seen in a couple of months, so I'm not quite sure what is going on with him, but he is on the injured list, and with and I know he was on the trip, so maybe he is uh, throwing, but until this pitching staff comes back and until Garrett Cole comes back to being Garrett Cole, and um, you know, Jamison Tyone right now is the number one pitcher on this staff, which is amazing, because he was a reclamation project, and it's turned out to be the best thing the Yankees have done in the pitching in a long time. Yeah, is Severino, uh, you know, injured as well? He had that rehab start, or was supposed to yesterday, and got scratched. Said he didn't feel right. Do you know what kind of setback we're talking about? 
know, we will know when we have our Zoom, you know, our wonderful Zooms that we've all gotten used to now for the last two years. Uh, no, but it's, it's not a good sign because um, they were expecting big things from Severino. Uh, this year came back when he was supposed to in, in June and then had the hamstring thing. And uh, he is back, from what I gather, he came back to New York. So someone is probably looking at him today. Uh, the manager, Doug Davis of, the, of Scranton, had no idea. He said he just didn't feel right because the reporters asked him last night too and he said i don't really know but he went back to new york and i'm sure aaron boone will have an update um uh, on us today before they play the first place chicago white Sox, and boy is that a fun team you guys must be having a wonderful time they're delightful to watch absolutely delightful and you are hearing the wonderful voice of susan waldman the color analyst on yankee baseball along with john sterling for all 162 Yankee games. Susan, uh, you keep saying that, Bruce. <laughs> I, well, I, I, it's the dog days, right, Susan? I know. It's Nobody a, does I, that anymore, right? It, this is harder this year because away games, I'm in my house, actually. I know. Well, and, and that that in itself is a challenge uh, to any broadcaster. We, we've known that, seeing that, and I'm going to be doing that today on, on Cub Baseball along with Zach Zaidman, uh, the off of the monitors, it's not the greatest, but it's it's doable. Uh, Susan, it, it's doable. You... you know what was not doable? The, the trip to Iowa, not going, broke my heart because that book is etched in my soul. And I I was I was looking forward to this for two years when they announced it. I bought the because the book is different, and I bought the book for everybody so that they could actually read what he actually wrote. And this it broke my heart to to have to do this the way we we did this and evidently it was a spectacular spectacular uh, event it couldn't have gone better and um, very dramatic and by the way it was the most watched television baseball game in 15 years mm-hmm. yeah that's remarkable susan so are you and thank you so much for joining us uh, i i miss seeing you i haven't seen you in two years now and hopefully one of these days soon uh we will be able to get together again because uh the, the joy of baseball for reporters and announcers and uh, people around the game is seeing their friends that they've seen for the last 35 years, Susan, and uh, I miss you. Well, oh, and I miss you, too, and I'm kind of hoping that maybe um, playoffs, maybe we'll get to play you in the playoffs, and wouldn't that yeah. be fun? And i got to tell you, when um, <laughs> Len and DJ walked in the door in May, I ran around the, the press box, going, company's coming, company's coming. I was so excited <laughs> to see them. I mean, I would have baked a cake if I did that sort of thing. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be good, Susan. Thank you so much for joining oh. us, and... Uh, as you know, I'm, a, I'm a, not only a friend, but a, a listener to you and John all the time. So take care. Uh, thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. I miss you. And I hope yeah. we see you soon. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Susan. That's uh, Susan Waldman. She is a Yankees broadcaster, has been for a long time. She's great, man. I, <laughs> she's so much fun. I like her. You think she has enough energy? No, no. You she needs she a lot more. You think she brings it enough? Yeah. Oh, my. She, she, is, she is a ball of fire. Bruce Levine, Chris Ranji on Inside the Clubhouse. Uh, I got a couple of uh, White Sox things we want to get to before we wrap up the show. We'll do that next on 670 The Score. Let's keep it a little cleaner tonight, my man, if we can do that. I'm just happy I can hit you tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. That's usually better for interviews. Liam Hendricks. 
closer for the White Sox uh, with Joe Buck on Fox during the Field of Dreams game. And yeah, he he had a little potty mouth during the All-Star game. Didn't realize his mic was on and was working. He thought it didn't. And uh, he was colorful. And Liam Hendricks typically is colorful, Bruce Levine. I'm Chris Ranji in for David Haw, who will be back next week. And, you know, his White Sox team playing the Yankees tonight. And, you know, you mentioned this before the show, uh, talking about how important that win was against New York on Thursday. For this team that is under 500 against teams that are 500 or better, they're 16 and 19 against the teams that have at least an even record this season. And if you look at all the potential playoff teams, um, most of them are in the upper levels of this. I mean, you talk about the Astros, who have a really good record, the best record in baseball against good teams, the Giants, the Red Sox, Rays, Brewers, all of those teams are in the top. And I, and I feel like Hendricks sort of ties into this conversation because locking down those games in the ninth inning is so important. And he's been good, but he's had one big problem. He's given up a ton of home runs. And and well, how do, it, you know it, how do the white what do the White Sox do here well, moving forward to ensure that this doesn't get away from them in a playoff this series? Is, this is the great problem they have, Chris, and the one that people imagine, and that is you have two closers on the team. They're two of the best in the game, uh, in him and Kimbrel. So now, if it becomes a little clunky, do they reverse roles? In other words, Larusa said that he's going to use Kimbrel to close. A certain amount of time as well, but it, it was it was pretty clear that he was going to be the eighth inning guy most of the time, and uh, it was going to be the job of Hendricks to uh, close out games. Now, now with uh, some home run balls being flying out a lot on Hendricks, do they do they change that pattern? Is it something that they flip flop from time to time now, and does it become more of a uh, center stage story going forward? Who is the closer on this team? It's a it's a terrific problem they have, Chris, because in the back end, uh, the White Sox have, at least on paper and a lot more than that, one of the strongest bullpens in baseball. Now, going out there and uh, improving it in a uh, last six weeks of the season where all these pitchers uh, are still only used to 60 games from last year and... Uh, durability is going to be watched uh, a lot for all pitchers the last six weeks of the season. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, how they they do this and how La Russa handles it. Yeah, it will be really interesting because, and, and you're right, uh, I know there's that phrase that if you have two closers, you don't have any closers. It's a little different here because these are two actual closers, right? I mean, they're two guys who can do it. And maybe that's the luxury. If one of them doesn't work out, you can uh, switch roles. And both guys have said they're yep. willing to do whatever. So I guess we'll Chris, see. Chris, uh, I was pleased to work with you. I was, I'm glad that you didn't walk off the show uh, 20 minutes early, uh, knowing your past <laughs> history and leaving the field of g- dream games in the six. But yeah. it was fun doing it. Uh, love love uh, being with you. Uh, thanks again. People can follow me on Twitter MLB Bruce Levine on the scores um, site at 670score.com. I write Cubs and Sox every day. Tonight, people can listen to Zach Zaidman and me call Cub Baseball when we start at uh, 435. The pregame show starts with Josh Liss and our good friends Steve Rosenblum and Rick Camp next as well. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you, Bruce. 
Saturday Suckage coming up. It's Rosie and Campy in for Mark Grody right here on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.